I'm Alexis. And I'm Mallory. And this is Newcast. Welcome to Newcast, guys. This is our first time recording. Um, so we're really excited we're to get very excited. things today. Um, <laughs> to the point of being a little bit nervous, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so forgive our stutters. We wanted to open up our first episode today with an opening feast, a gathering of sorts to help you understand where we're coming from, who we are, and what what our purpose here is on Newcast. So my name's Mallory. I am a Ravenclaw. Are we going to do Ilvermorny houses? Is oh, yeah. So I was sorted into Horned Serpent, which I found fitting, so I'm cool with it. <laughs> I am from Minnesota, and I am... A former BYU student who studied family studies and now I work as a nanny which is really fun and my favorite Harry Potter character would probably be a tie which is a cop-out I know but between Neville and McGonagall yes. they're my two faves those are favorites my name is Alexis I am a Hufflepuff through and through I'm also a puck wedgie which I'm really happy about even though we don't know much about the Ilvermorny houses just yet. I'm from Florida originally, more recently Oregon, and I'm studying at BYU currently. I'm studying advertising with a minor in film and creative writing. And my favorite Harry Potter character is Neville Longbottom, because Aww. he's just the absolute best. He is. Um, so today we wanted to tell you a little bit about our purpose. What is Newcast? Why are we doing this? Well... With the new films coming out and with the um, play and its script release, we are hopeful that there's going to be sort of a Harry Potter resurgence, that it's going to bring a new generation of fandom, that it's going to kind of bring back that old passion in the old fandom, and we kind of want to help that wave along. So we're here to talk about the stuff that comes up. Yeah, I feel like we're already sort of in this resurgence of the Potter fandom. It's kind of really exciting. I've noticed, though, on certain Tumblr sites and other sites as well, that there's <laughs> been a little bit of grouchiness, like negativity, and we just want to combat that. Like, we understand that it's good to be critical and it's good to look at things as they are, but it's just really easy to rag on things these days, and so we want to really bring out the positives and the benefits of the doubts. We want to add to the excitement and the hope and the anticipation of, of what's to come. And so, in doing so, we're just going to offer our own views on the Potterverse, both inside the canon and, and outside of it as well. We also really just want to show that, like, you can be critical of something and even, like, pick at the flaws in something without hating it and saying that the whole thing is bad because of those flaws. We want to, you know, look at both sides of everything. So we're going to be discussing the text that Pottermore gives us, that it's given us so far with the new Ilvermorny things, as well as anything that may come out in the future. We're going to be talking about Cursed Child, especially once the script comes out. And we'll also be talking a lot about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. We're going to be examining how these texts both mirror our times and affect the outside world, which is something that we're really excited about. And we just have to warn you listeners, we're new to this. We've never podcasted before, either of us, so you're going to have to forgive us. Hopefully, if you stick with us, you will see improvement over time <laughs> as we learn how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you should see our recording studio. It's pretty fantastic oh in gosh, here. It's literally my bedroom of my apartment. It's a six-person apartment, so it's pretty small. 
with a blanket over the bed. <laughs> We're, We're in sitting fort. in a blanket fort. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know it's, it's warm. real. <laughs> yeah, we just really want to get people talking about Potter again, like we once did in the fandom. We're going to be excited. We're going to be hopeful. It's going to be great. We're going to rejuvenate the love. So our main segment today for the suitcase that we'll be opening, we are going to be talking about fandom. We're going to be talking about the ghosts of fandom past, present, and future. Yeah, let's face it, the Harry Potter fandom itself is sort of like a phenomenon of a phenomenon. You have so many different fandoms today that are big, you know, but I think a lot of them, they sort of die out after a while, but Harry Potter has sort of run its course and still is there. Like, everyone still remembers it pretty well and still loves it, has a fondness for it. Yeah, a lot of the fandoms that you see coming and going today, they tend to get big, you know, as the book usually what it is, mm-hmm. gains popularity, and then once the final movie adaptation comes out, then it tends to peter out. But with Harry Potter, I mean, it's become sort of a mainstay of our culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Harry Potter is really unique. It defined a generation, and it also changed a lot of things in publishing. It did a lot of things at once. It validated a fantasy genre that I think not many people were too keen on reading. It was there, but we had, like, the Lord of the Rings. It's true, and most fantasy that was coming out was trying to be Lord of the Rings. Right. Where now fantasy that comes out is trying to be Harry Potter. (laughs) And it kind of moved away from, like, the high fantasy to a little bit more accessible fantasy. Yeah. And also it started a whole new new reading segment, like a whole new audience. It saved YA. I think it's fair to say, like, it at least defined what YA could be. Yeah, I feel like most older YA books are kind of posthumously put into that <laughs> genre, <laughs> whereas yeah. before they were just, like, fiction. Right, right. And I actually did some research before we, we recorded today, and I found, like, something really cool. It's one statistic. It said that middle grade books of today are 173% longer than they were the like 40 years ago, and there's like a whole spike right after Harry Potter. Like it was sort of a gradual increase, but now it's just like Harry Potter comes out, and you know these these books get bigger and bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden they realize like, hey, kids like reading. It's not something you just have to pressure them into doing. So that's just really cool. Harry Potter just did a lot of things for publishing, and I think the difference, the biggest difference between like Harry Potter as a fandom. And say like Star Wars or Star Trek or or other fandoms of the past, is that we had the internet. It's true, and we had the internet as it was coming out instead of right. later on as things get tacked on for a lot of those older fandoms. Yeah, like I wasn't old enough to be part of the live streaming part of the <laughs> fandom, but I know that was like kind of the start, right? I was old enough, <laughs> but I also didn't have a live journal. Uh, I would, you know, I would see stuff that was posted on there, but it was usually through other websites that would collect it, like, you know, MuggleNet or whatever. How did, how did the internet thing around with Harry Potter, how did that make that kind of a difference to you? Well, I mean, I started reading in 1999, so the internet was around, but like, I was nine years old, I didn't really have it, so... I didn't really participate in the internet part of it until probably the wait between the third and the fourth book was probably when I started to really get into it. And I can't remember year-wise, like, where the fan sites and stuff came into that. But I do remember just, like, in the old days of the dial-up internet while I took up my family's phone line, just, like, 
devouring anything I could get my hands on. And it was interesting because that part of the fandom that was so fun for Harry Potter, the whole, like, waiting game in between books, it wasn't fun in the beginning. Because I remember, I, I don't think I had to wait for the second one, or if I did, it wasn't very long, but I remember waiting for the third one, and it was agony. Yeah. It was the worst thing. Yeah. But then all the waits after that were fun. I mean, it was still agony because we were waiting for the books. But it was the good kind of agony because suddenly I had this entire community that I could participate in. Yeah. (laughs) And I could find them and we could talk and make stuff and share dumb jokes and make silly little 100 by 100 pixel icons that would get spread all over my space. Yeah. Like with like the little, it was kind of like the early predecessor of your book. Yeah. Because, like, the letters would, like, change colors mm-hmm. and go back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I actually looked it up. Muggle Net launched in 1999. Okay. Which is freaking early for internet. It is. Like, it's probably why it caught on so quickly. That was a year before my family even had a computer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started to remember Star Wars and internet when I was just growing up, I guess, kind of. I don't know. I Yeah, I definitely knew Muggle Net, though. Um, Another thing I remember is, I'm not sure when, like, wikis for every fandom became a thing, but through my experience, like, Harry Potter was the first fandom I saw and participated in where the fandom basically collected a database of all the known facts and information about this work of fiction. And so there was, like, the Harry Potter lexicon and, like, other smaller ones that were branched out. I mean, that was a cool thing for me because then you could go in and, like, look something up instead of having to go and pull out your books and be like, okay, well, on page 243 of Goblet of Fire, they say this. Right. That was something that kind of was a game changer for me as far as fandom goes because it was this, like, collective resource. I remember J.K. Rowling had her title pretty early. Maybe not as early as Star Wars Internet, but... I don't remember when she put her title up. Yeah, I remember being there and just, like, exploring. That was fun. That kind of segues really well into, like, the next question. Where were you sort of in the middle of your fandom era? Like, what what things were you participating in? Oh, man. So, for me, like I said, I started pretty young, so I grew up with the books. So, I kind of found things as they came around, which was really fun for me. I was huge into Wizard Rock. Like... <laughs> hardcore fan I would listen to bands that I hated just because <laughs> they were wizard rock like Harry Potter related. well because the thing with wizard rock is about 75% of them were terrible music wise right. like, right. they did not sound even a lot of like the really popular ones who were funny musically not good <laughs> yeah but you acclimate to it <laughs> You make do. (laughs) You make do. Well, and the thing is, so many of them were so funny that you didn't care. It was just a blast. And there was this whole community of the Wizard Rock people and, like, the Wizard Rock fans. And it was mostly on MySpace. And we would just, like, talk to each other and comment on pictures. And there wasn't wasn't even a whole lot of, like, content that got put out. It was just people talking to each other because that was all that MySpace pretty much let you do. Yeah. So it felt really tight-knit, which was really cool. I think in my sophomore year of college, so 2009, was the first Wizard Rock concert I actually went to, because I was home for the summer, and I went and saw the Moaning Myrtles and the Whomping Willows, and 
Justin Finch will actually hit the sugar quills. <laughs> and I think there's one more. The Nifflers. They were precious. It was so much fun. And it was so fun to meet these people that I had kind of, like, communicated with for years, but we would never really knew each other. And by that point... What? Sorry, was this your first interaction with people from the internet, meeting them in real life? I think it was, actually. Because I never, I mean, I never got to go to any conventions or anything. Right. And I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere. They came on tour that year, and it was really cool for me to meet these people. And by that point... Wizard Rock was kind of starting to die out, so it was kind of like this last hurrah for me, almost, before moving on to other things. Yeah, that was cool. I listened to MuggleCast religiously, so that's pretty much my primary resource of podcasts. Like, I know I listened to other ones. I know this because I went through my MySpace friends (laughs) before we did this and saw all the podcasts I used to listen to. But I have no memory of any of them except MuggleCast. Like, I was obsessed. But I haven't listened to them for years, so I don't know what's going on with them currently. And I would also visit several fan sites regularly, and I'd visit MuggleNet daily. You know, a lot of, big part of the fandom back then was just getting on the comment boards, talking about things. We'd theorize when, like, a new article was published on their site saying, like, oh, so-and-so said this about what might be happening there would just be these huge comment trains about people talking about what was going to go on. And there was the fun stuff, like, caption. I remember the caption contest was always my favorite. <laughs> I, lo- I did that, like, every week. Yeah. I participated to a certain extent in fanfic. I wrote one. <laughs> I'm not particularly proud of it. Shockingly, it was about Neville. The idea was Harry goes and visits Neville's parents in St. Mungo's but it takes place after the sixth book. So the plan was I had these theories about what had gone on with the locket, and I guessed correctly about, like, creature and everything. But I put it off and put it off, and then by the time I was, like, ready to maybe put some more out, the book came out, (laughs) so it became kind of irrelevant. So I kind of just ended it. But it it was fun. I did read a lot more, though. I tended to read a lot more... Marauder era type stuff, and then just sort of AU completely canon divergent stuff. I didn't really read a lot of ones that were theorizing about what was going to happen. If I read too much, like long fic, I tend to confuse fic with canon. Yeah. So then I'm like, wait, did that actually happen, or did I just read a really, really well written fan fiction? I don't know. Yeah. When the HP Alliance came around, I was pretty active in that. When I was in my hometown of like 8,000 people, there wasn't a whole lot to do, so it was mostly online. But then once I got out here to college, I started my own Provo chapter, the HP Alliance. I tried to get it established as a club at school. Didn't really go well, so we just kind of had a few meetings, got a few things going, but it didn't last, and I kind of just gave up on it, (laughs) which was sad. But while it was going... It was fun, and it was good for me because it brought me to you. Yeah, it did. We met because she contacted me when I was running that, and she was trying to get the Quidditch League started, and we wanted to team up, and we didn't really, but we became friends, so (laughs) it still worked out. Close enough. (laughs) So that was kind of my experience with fandom outside of just going to the releases and stuff. Yeah, the book movie releases were really fun. That's probably the first time there were midnight releases for books. 
It's first, I mean, it's first ones I remember, but I yeah. wasn't exactly around for exactly <laughs> other big stuff. I think it definitely made a party out of them, though. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, Harry my Potter gosh. releases were a party, man. They were so great, which is part of why I'm so excited for Saturday night. We'll get to that. Because mm-hmm. Cursed Child is coming out. When I publish this, <laughs> <laughs> it will be tonight, and so I'm really excited about it. So for me, I had a slightly different journey to the Harry Potter fandom. I started off, besides looking up MuggleNet stuff, I never got into MuggleCast until recently, actually, so I picked really? up I where you left that. off, I guess. That's fun. <laughs> but before then, I was on Neopets a lot. <laughs> We're going here. <gasps> Listeners, I don't tell this to, like, my close friends, so you're going to get an inside scoop into how nerdy I actually am. I would we, I would start role-playing guilds on Neopets about Harry Potter, and I was probably, like, 10. That's wonderful. Maybe 11. And I, uh, I would just, like, make up my own character. I never got into fan fiction because I preferred to just make up my own stuff. I didn't trust myself with the characters that she had written. And so I just found the whole world of role-playing writing fascinating and just went to like all these Harry Potter forums and did that for years and years and years just on the side just because it was fun making up characters. So um, if there's one, one aspect of the Harry Potter universe I know really well, it's the kids or at least the surnames of all of the minor characters <laughs> <laughs> because I just did Harry Potter everything. And beyond that, I listened to Wizard Rock in high school for the same nostalgic reasons of Oliver Boyd and the Umbrals' end of an era, which to this day makes me cry. So thanks, Oliver Boyd. Seriously. And then in high school, my senior year of high school, I started a YouTube channel, and it was called... (laughs) Do it. Lay it on the line. It's all out there. It was called Holy Hippogriff. It's so great, you guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, so I created it because a wizard rock band called Ministry of Magic was like, hey, we're going to do a music video contest. And I was like, I kind of want to do some filming. That sounds fun. And so I made a music video, and I made my brother join with me. <laughs> so, yeah, I did that, and I got, like, third place or fifth place. I think third Wait, place. I didn't know that. Yeah, I got, like, I, I was ranked <laughs> in the top ten. That's so awesome. Far. Um, so that was really exciting. I remember staying up really late to find that out because they were on the West Coast. And I was, like, so excited about that that I went into a different video. I <laughs> did my own parody of Black and Yellow, but made it for Hufflepuff because Badger Yellow. I it's so good. <laughs> I still ten out of ten would recommend. Every word. <laughs> I remember everything about it. It's I, I kind of am proud of it still. It's probably, like, the, the worst filming job ever, but whatever. It's good. It's I genuinely it. good. It's not just it's because genuine. I like you. I genuinely meant I love Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, the following summer after I graduated, I went to WikiCon 2011. I think that was the year that, yeah, that was the year that the last film came out. And it was in Orlando, so I lived really close. So I got to see Neil Sisierga do a puppet show. I got to hear about Pottermore. It was so exciting before it actually came out. That was really bad. And we actually got to all go to the Universal uh, Wizarding World, all dressed up after the park closed. And it was just a lot of fun. That was such a good memory for me as a fandom. That was a cool year for you to go to. It was kind of a sweet spot of, like, 
the end of the it. things were ending and ev- but everyone was still like super into it people weren't you know losing their enthusiasm or anything right yeah but at the same time all these changes were coming yeah yeah speaking of changes so we kind of want to talk about what has happened to the family since that sort of high point um, what's changed? What's gone on? Have we gone into a Harry Potter fandom hiatus, or I don't know what you would call it. Yeah, I think we mentioned a little bit earlier that people still like Harry Potter, but it's almost fizzled out a little bit um, in terms of just that enthusiasm for it until this year. That's and true. This year has changed it. But previous to that, I ha- we had Quidditch. I, I play Quidditch, so that's a thing. But I mostly do it for the sport aspect at this point, and I think... A lot of Quidditch players do it because it's fun and not because it's Harry Potter. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously a lot of the sort of fizzling out, so to speak, of the fandom is just because there isn't as much new content that comes out. I mean, there's Pottermore updates every once in a while, and, you know, J.K. Rowling gets on her Twitter every once in a while and drops a bomb on us, but... I remember before I left for Brazil, I, I served in mission, but before I left on that mission trip, I... Remember, J.K. Rowling had maybe two tweets ah, before. She never tweeted. And I came back a year and a half later, and all of a sudden, she had, like, hundreds of tweets. We begged her. We were like, J.K. Rowling, <laughs> why do you never tweet to us? Speak to us. Speak to us, please. And now we're like, please stop. <laughs> You're ruining all my head cannons. <laughs> all right, put the keyboard down, J.K. <laughs> Just let me have tonight. this. <laughs> At least she apologizes for some some deaths, right? <laughs> she yeah, feels remorse. That sort of eases it. <laughs> there is that, I suppose. There are still parodies, though. So we're kind of, you know, it's almost like since there is no new canon, we're sort of making our new stuff. It's right? true, we are. Like, Dark Lord Funk came out nearly a year ago. Yeah. And that gained a lot of traction. Um, she even tweeted about it, and I'm sure there were other parodies before them, too. I mean, every so often there's just some new thing that comes out that... I remember there was, like, a fan-made film about the fight between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Yeah. That was cool as that heck. That was cool. So well-made. And that was after the movies and everything that came out. Yeah, and there's still a lot of fan-made films that are in the works. Yeah. Like there's a Marauders one, at least one that I know of, maybe two. Yeah, so I think it's still there. It's still definitely there, which is why this year, now that things are coming out, new content about not only Harry Potter's universe, as The Cursed Child is coming out, but also other elements of the whole wizarding world, of of Wizarding World of North America and all of the other schools, that has just sort of, like, reignited something. That's true. And kind of going back to what you are talking about, how we were creating our own canon. I was actually thinking about that earlier today. The fandom kind of takes a lot more ownership of the story and the characters and just the world in general than we used to. Before, it used to be that, like, J.K. Rowling was the ultimate authority. We worshipped this woman. We called her our queen. And then anything (laughs) she said was, like, the final word. But now when she says something, people are like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Do we accept this as our canon? Or, like, do we think that something else is going on here? Like, we don't... This isn't part of, like, any official publication, so we as the fandom should be able to decide, like, are we going to accept this or no? Or are we just going to say, nah, that's yeah. cool. You can say that, but we're going to say something different. compartmentalize. It's true. The things that we hear and say, like, this is my canon from the books. And then these, these are the outside 
facts that she claims that I don't see or I do see and that that do come from the story. So yeah. that's a really that's really interesting. I feel like the fandom in general has just kind of taken more charge of I mean, look at the example of them casting Hermione in the play as black. Mm-hmm. That happened because of the fandom. The fandom was like, Hey, here's this cool idea. What if Hermione's black? There's nothing All in the book that says she couldn't be and then people kind of rolled with it. People created fan art. They made little, like, character pitches about it. They wrote fan fiction. It got attention. And the next thing you know, here we have these actresses. And it's a real thing that's, like, produced. Yeah, she's fantastic. That's a really good point. We are influencing the canon in a way. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Feet of the power. Like, not only has the <laughs> canon influenced us, I feel like we're now, we've now grown to the point of, hey, mm-hmm. this is cool, or hey, this is problematic, and things get done. Yeah. You guys are powerful. Think on that. <laughs> you have power. Use your power responsibly. Okay, so today we have the first child coming out tonight, and Fantastic Beasts coming out this November. And the interesting thing about these two things are that they primarily follow adults, and so it's almost as if the Harry Potter universe has, like, grown up with us. Because, like you said, you were nine, you said? I was nine when I read um, Sorcerer's Stone slash Philosopher's Stone, and I was actually 17 when Deathly Hallows came out. So I, like, grew up with Harry, and I'm feeling emotions about it right now. It was, yeah, it was really cool. So it is cool now that, like, with Cursed Child and Fantastic Beasts coming out, you know, I'm not quite the same age as the adult characters would be in Cursed Child, but we don't really know how old Newt is supposed to be in this movie, but he looks like he could be about my age. It makes sense. Yeah. The Cursed Child focuses a lot on parenting, which is probably our next step. Mm -hmm. So it's almost offering us like a guide to parenting through the Harry Potter universe. And it makes sense because, I mean, we were the huge first wave of the, the main audience of this work of fiction, so for it to kind of aim itself at that same audience, it, it feels right. It feels right. It feels fantastic. I like it anyway. <laughs> Me too. And something I enjoyed, I was actually so, so lucky. Previously this summer, I got to see the very first preview of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, it just so happened that I was there that week because I was there for a study abroad, and it just lined up perfectly. And so my favorite part of that entire experience or okay <laughs> that's hard to say but we'll just say for now one of my favorite parts of a really excellent part <laughs> was waiting in line to go in like none of us had to wait in a line there was no reason to, to have a line you all had tickets to where your <laughs> seat was and nobody was racing to a seat but yet there we were we lined around the whole block people were dressed up wearing their Aww. harry potter shirts and people were, there's just a, an excitement in the air that was just so palpable, 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 it tastes good. Um, and also, something that's great about The Cursed Child is that it's in two parts, and I saw it on two different days. And so there's this full day in between the two parts that I had to just, like, ruminate on things and think about them and, like, theorize. And then I suddenly realized this is the first time I've been able to theorize about Harry Potter in years. A long time. It, I mean, we've been able to theorize in the sense that, like, we're just basically headcanoning the extended plot lines and characters right. and world, yeah. but we're not thinking about, like, hey, here's what's going to happen when they right. publish this work here. Right. 
I don't know if how that's going to transition to reading the script. If you're if you have a reading buddy, I would definitely recommend putting it down after part one and just like talk about it, just to have that little like sliver of experience, like that little bit of what do you think is going to happen next? How the heck is this going to wrap up? Because let me tell you, the uh, cliffhanger to part one is huge. Oh boy, that's all you need to know. Oh boy, <laughs> no spoilers here, but it's huge. And and so that whole experience is really neat. And we have a, a midnight book release, like we said, coming up. Um, Fantastic Beasts is happening, so we even have like the old film feelings of like the cast was released, and then we get very specific about each character. And Mallory, actually. Yeah, so I decided for this for this series of films, of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I am not going to watch any spoilers or trailers or anything. When the movies came out for the original Harry Potter movies, I, like, consumed every bit that I could get my hands on. I didn't care. My line of thinking was, well, you know, I know what happens in the books, like, if I know beforehand what they're going to take out of the movie and what they're not, it's not going to take away from my experience. And for the most part, I was right. I mean, I still had the time of my life going to see those movies. But this time around, I just kind of decided on a win after seeing the first shorter trailer. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let this completely surprise me. So I've seen the first trailer, and I have the barest idea of, like, who is in it, sort of, and, like, where he is. But other than that... I have no idea, which is exciting for me because since there's no previously published book that this is based on, I have no idea what the plot is going to be. None whatsoever. So I'm really excited to go into this completely just blank slate. Don't worry though, listeners, we are going to cover Fantastic Beasts things like trailers and interviews as they come out. Mallory will just not be joining us. Yeah, I'll just be sitting sitting that out (laughs) and also not listening. That's going to be hard. Oh. Okay. I can listen after. Yeah. So let's also talk about where we think fandom is going to go in the future with the first child play and the best Fantastic Beast movies coming out. What do we think is going to happen to the Harry Potter fandom? My question is, is there a Harry Potter fandom? Like, I feel like fandom in itself is sort of like this smaller segment of people that really like something. Whereas right now I feel like almost everybody considers themselves Harry Potter fans. It's true. I mean, there are people who don't like Harry Potter, but who needs them? Um, (laughs) I don't know. It kind of feels almost like, I don't know, I don't really want to say it's target board because that makes it feel like, you know, well, I'm in the inner circle, so. (laughs) But maybe just sort of a spectrum, like a plane. And there are certain people who are really hardcore into certain areas of the fandom but don't care about other stuff. Yeah. Whereas there are some people who are just kind of, you know, whatever pops up for them. They're like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I'll walk down memory lane. Whereas there are some people who are still, like, full steam ahead, like, anything they can get their hands on, full participation in every single thing. I don't know. That's kind of my conception of what's going on right now. Do you think that this whole resurgence of Harry Potter is going to cause the, the younger generation participate more to to be more engaged with Harry Potter I hope so I mean I know that nowadays kids tend to watch the movies before they read the books which makes me sad but also makes sense don't do that (laughs) 
I mean, I know. I mean, I watch kids, and I know that the ten-year-old that I watch has seen all the movies, but hasn't. I think she's read the first book now because I made her. Oh my gosh! As a mother, I will. They will be reading all of the books. Required before, reading <laughs> before they so I'm sorry. see Daniel Radcliffe don those glasses. <laughs> you want to go to first grade? Here's your reading. Let's go. <laughs> I'll read it to you if we have to. Yep. Yeah, that's. So, I don't know. I hope that it'll kind of rekindle a resurgence, but at the same time, with these new things, as we said, being sort of adult-focused and featuring adults, I don't know if it's going to create the same excitement among kids as it did for us when it was kids in the story. Yeah, that's a really fair point. I think that Cursed Child definitely has a target audience with children and adults because it does cover Albus and says Prince. (laughs) Albus and Scorpius and Rose. (laughs) Right. Um, It follows those three, and they are in Hogwarts. So there is still a body of students that they can look up to. Um, But you're right in that the themes of it might sort of go over their heads a little bit more. I don't know. Kids are smart, though. I think there will be, like, at least to some extent, sort of a resurgence among some of the younger generation, because I have seen, even now, before any of this stuff has come out, kids who just kind of are old enough to start participating in stuff on the internet and social media and things and they start finding this stuff and getting involved even though they're like 12, 13 and they just dive in even though they're not part of it as it's coming out and I think that's awesome so that is awesome. hopefully those same people will be able to like really grab onto this new stuff and kind of have a natural the same experience as we did yeah bring your entire generation with you that's if right listening, just, just share it everywhere it's worth <laughs> it you might get known as the Harry Potter kid for a while. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's actually pretty fun to be known as the Harry Potter kid. So. Yeah, you would find other Harry Potter kids, as evidence between Mallory and I. That's true. All right, so now on to our new segment we've called Potter Watch. Here's what's going on in the fandom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have a, a theme song for this segment yet, but... I hope so. That was fun. I feel like our voices might just work. Anyway, this is what's kind of going on in the fandom right now and things that are coming up. Yes, so as Keith mentioned, <laughs> Curse Child is coming out. I'm so excited, even though I don't get to see it. It's tonight. Yes. And so most of you are probably listening to this after it's come out, but just know it was an exciting time beforehand, too. <laughs> and we'll talk about the whole experience of it coming out in a later episode. Yeah, actually, we are going to do these episodes every other week, usually. But because of the timing of this, we're just going to have to do a special episode next week. So, just look forward to that. But we can go over our expectations for it. Okay, yes. Ooh. Okay, so I've already seen it. I'm not going to mention any of my expectations. I might offer some suggestions. But go ahead. What do you expect? Well, when Alexis came back from her trip, she gave me the, like, full scoop on her feelings about everything without telling me any of the plot. She's very good at that. the secrets. It's true. She's very good at that, by the way. So, from what I've gathered from her insight, and thankfully I've been able to avoid spoilers online, except for a couple of random phrases that I didn't understand anyway, so it's fine. Um, I'm gathering that I'm not really going to love what actually happens in the plot, but that the characterization and sort of just the feeling of the overall experience is going to be cool. I'm really, really excited about the kids. I'm so, I mean, I've always been excited about that particular trio of kids anyway. Right. 
because even before any of this was happening, that was like a huge fan fiction thing. People were going crazy writing stuff for that three. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And I didn't read a ton of it, but the stuff I did read was excellent. So if it lives up to any of that, then I think I'll be satisfied. And I was actually telling Alexis earlier when we were talking about this when she first came back that I've been kind of approaching this entire Cursed Child thing as fan fiction anyway, just kind of really big budget fan fiction. So that way, if I don't like the plot, <laughs> I don't have to live with it like ruining my ideas about all these characters and their futures. I can just be like, wow, that was that was cool fan fiction. That was fun. I can move on with my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think Cursed Child does, it does give you enough to go off of to, to read into it critically, to pull out themes and ideas. I think it does lend itself to that sort of scrutiny. Like Mallory mentioned, the story itself, the plot is, is not what we're used to. I mean, it is, but it's, it's not, it shouldn't <laughs> be where it is. <laughs> Should be as vague as possible. But my suggestion for everyone who's asked me about it has been to go into this like it's a character exercise. It's like a writer who's trying to, to figure out a certain character and is, is just going to town writing about them even though they're not going to fit that story. Right. Think of it like that. So you're just figuring out who who is Harry at this point. My biggest fear going into the play was, was Harry because we had been in his head for seven books. Um, we'd seen his point of view for eight films. And we all have... a. I mean, we feel like we have a pretty good idea of who this guy we is. We know him very well. And I was just like, you're going to dip back into him? Uh-uh, <laughs> you're not touching my Harry. But Jamie, the, the man who plays him, was fantastic. And I really love the way that character, where he ended up, um, how he's dealing with the things he's dealing with, and his character arc throughout this play. I, I loved it. The other characters we'll get into as we go, but just to to, to state your palate, I keep coming up with some palate <laughs> words, <laughs> to give you a taste of what is to come, um, just love those characters, love them, Jamie. And I feel like if they stay true to the characters, specifically the characters that we already know, then overall it should be a pretty decent success. Yeah. Good experience. I feel like once we read the play, we'll have a new tagline for this podcast. I just thought of that today, and I'm really <laughs> excited about it. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Wait, do we have a tagline now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll have a tagline. We're going to figure it out. Excellent. Our final segment is the Rememberall, because we both love Neville Longbottom. Yes, we do. And also because Mallory's rereading the series, so... She's going to share a thought or a joke or insight that she's gotten from the original seven books. I am on Chamber of Secrets right now, and I was coming across a lot of instances of sort of hypocrisy in the characters, both in Sorcerer's Stone and in this one, and I think I just never really noticed or paid attention to it before, or if I did, I just laughed it off as like, oh, that's those funny wizards and the way they do things, but it really has been sticking out to me this time, particularly when Hagrid meets up with Harry and Hermione and the Weasleys in Diagon Alley after Harry has landed in Nocturne Alley, and then Arthur and Lucius get into that fight in the bookstore and everything, and Hagrid's talking about them, and he says something along the lines of, like, don't listen to anything anyone in that family says, it's just bad blood. Whereas the whole thing that sort of 
the thing about the Malfoys in particular, if there's like one main thing that's awful about them, it's that they think they're better than other people because of their bloodline. Right. So for Hagrid to say, oh, it's just bad blood, was really interesting to me. I, I was like, that is so hypocritical, and I'd never picked that out before. And I kind of noticed other instances of that, too, to a lesser, de- like a less serious degree. Like when they're going in the car to go to um, King's Cross, and they talk all through the books about how, like, oh, muggles, they'll, like, do anything to not notice magic. They'll make up any excuses. And they get in the car, and Molly's like, wow, muggles are really good at, like, making these roomy cars. Like, you never know from the outside that this is so roomy. <laughs> How does she not realize that her husband has put an expansion charm on this car? Like she hasn't been in any other cars. <laughs> Clearly, it was just kind of mind-boggling to me that she would not realize this, especially knowing her husband and all the other and stuff he's done to this car. this car. Like there's like a bajillion people in this. So many people. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting to me. And on a lighter note, I also was reading today when they come across Mrs. Norris being petrified, and then they go to Lockhart's office, and Filch is like, it was Harry, it was that Potter kid, like, he knows I'm a squib. And then they leave, and Ron is like, well, uh, if he was using the quick spell, I bet he's a squib. (laughs) I'm like, or it could be the fact that he said the words, I'm a squib. (laughs) I don't know, Ron. Ron Deduce that. It's been fun coming across stuff like that this time around. Alright, so that concludes our episode for today. Next time on Newcast, we'll be talking about The Cursed Child because Woo! the script will come out. Yay! So we're going to read it and we're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about the story. Cry. We're going to talk about the characters. We're going to talk about themes. We're going to talk about everything that comes along and we're going to theorize and we're going to pick it apart and we're going to hopefully be really excited and it's going to be so much fun so come with us yeah we're so pumped so i hope we get to see you guys next week um until then follow us on twitter we have a handle at newtcasts with an s with an s at the end it's plural facebook slash newtcasts with an s or at newtcasts.com the website is a little bit uh rudimentary but we'll We'll get get there there. whoa (laughs) That was us high-fiving. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear from listeners as well, so we look forward to discussing these things with you. Feel free to shoot us a tweet, a comment, um, a comment on Facebook, anything to get to us. We would love to hear from you. Don't hold back. Anything that crosses your mind, we'd love to just talk with you and get this going. Yeah. So that concludes Newcast. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.